Jorginho's masterclass helps the Gunners to the win that puts them right back in the title race. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast, part of the 90 Min family with me, Harry Simiou, coming to you live about half an hour or so after I've made it home from Emirates Stadium. Can't wait for this one. Make sure you leave a like on the video. If you're watching us on YouTube, make sure you're subscribed to the channel if you haven't done so already. And if you're listening to us on audio, well, you know the drill by now. Welcome back to the show, everybody. How's it going? Great to see so many of you waiting in the live chat for this one to begin. And I mean, we're all buzzing, right? We all want to talk about it. We all want to relive what we've just watched because it was that damn good, wasn't it? It was, as Tim puts it in the chat, glorious. Fantastic. And you know what's even better? What might actually be even better than the win, the performance um, and all the rest of it is how wound up everybody else in the football world seems to get when Arsenal celebrate a victory. Sorry, are we not allowed? Celebration police are out in full force tonight. People taking issue with the fact that Martin Odegaard uh, took a few pictures with the photographer. So bloody what? So bloody what? Massive, massive result for Arsenal. Huge result. Absolutely buzzing with it. Really, really happy. Um, happy with the performance. Happy with uh, the way the crowd contributed. The atmosphere was fantastic inside Emirates Stadium uh, tonight, this afternoon, however you want to put it. I, I spoke to Mikel Arteta after the game. And, you know, clearly Arsenal had gone a long way in the build up to this game in trying to kind of drum up the atmosphere a little bit, get everybody going, get everybody on side with, you know, the fact that we really did need the support today. And everybody knows what a great side Liverpool are. Everybody knows how capable they are. Everybody knows um, of the difficulties that you'll face when you come up against teams like that. And I was very, very fortunate to, to get a word with Mikel Arteta after the game. And, you know, Listen, the way it works, so you go into the radio room and the national broadcasters, um, whoever has the game rights, will get first dibs on the questions, right? So BBC uh, Radio 5 Live had the game today. They asked um, the first questions. Talk Sport were there as well. So they asked questions and I was working for BBC London. So I have to go third in the queue in terms of today's game because of the way the rights are divvied out among the various broadcasters. So I wasn't going to ask something about the game or, or or something generic because that had already been done. Mikel Arteta had already given his feelings and I would have been just repeating essentially a question that somebody else asked. And, you know, I noticed that video this morning. You know, I sat and watched it and I thought it was brilliant and it really did get me in the mood. And I tweeted before I set off for Arsenal today, if you haven't watched this, watch it because it will get you in the mood, I promise. And it did exactly that. And after the game, Mikel Arteta was was very, very complimentary of the atmosphere inside the stadium. He made reference to how much, in his opinion, 
that really helped the team. Um, it helped them to have that extra yard. It helped them in, in a number of reasons. And what I wanted to do was ask him a little bit about that. Because to me, I always think that this thing, when it comes to the atmosphere, you know, people say, well, you know, it's it's on the crowd. It's on the crowd to get the team going. It's on the crowd to to bring it. And a lot of the time the crowd do bring it. But sometimes, sometimes you need the players to give you something the other way that ignites that atmosphere. I've always said over the years that, you know, one of the things that I find always sets the Arsenal crowd off is when a referee gives something against us that we're all upset with. That tends to be a sparking point for us, you know. Um, and so I asked Mikel Arteta about this whole idea of, you know, it having to be both ways. Was there a very deliberate um, ploy from Arsenal? Now, obviously, you want to start a game strongly and you want to be aggressive at the beginning and you want to take the game to your opponent. You don't want them to settle at your home, right? I get all of that. But I asked Mikel Arteta if he'd spoken about giving it the other way early on in the game to make sure that the crowd were on side. I know that probably doesn't make a lot of sense if you're listening to because I haven't explained it in the best way. But this is what um, Mikel had to say to me. Um, so I said, I've always felt the atmosphere thing goes both ways. If the team comes out of the blocks fast, it can ignite the crowd. And I asked him if he discussed this with his players before the game. Was it something they discussed? He said it was. But as well, we tried to produce a video to make them feel how important they are and how connected the crowd has to be in every ball if we want to create at the Emirates a place that is something special. We're going to need them at their best. And I think today they were at their best. Mikel Arteta was involved in the process of that video being put out there. Now, I'm not saying he sat and edited it or made it or anything like that, but it was something that was discussed with him and he was all for it because Mikel Arteta has done, in my opinion, wonders in terms of bringing that connection back. And that's why, you know, whenever we have a bad result, you get those people that are oh, tear out, get rid of him, blah, blah, blah. And then if you defend him, everybody goes, oh, you're you're brown nosing, you're this, you're that, you're a puppet, blah, 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 blah. No, one of the main reasons that so many Arsenal fans feel this loyalty and feel like they want to support and back Mikel Arteta is because that connection between the team and the fans is back. It is back. It's been back for a little while now. Yeah, you get the odd wobble when you have a disappointing result. Understandably, people are going to be frustrated. People are going to feel uh, downbeat after certain performances and certain results. That's just the way football is. It's an emotional game and that's how it goes. But clearly, Mikel Arteta places a lot of emphasis and and holds the crowd's part in really, really high value in terms of how much of a difference he thinks it can make. So I was really impressed to hear that, obviously, A, that that was something they discussed before the game, trying to make sure that they gave the crowd something to kind of feed off. But B, the fact that the club had made a conscious effort to put that video out, knowing that a lot of people like myself would watch it in the morning and it would kind of get us going. But we'll talk a little bit more about that a little bit later on. Um, don't forget, if you're just joining us, I know it's annoying that I have to keep saying it, but it really does work. Please leave a like on the video. If you haven't done so already, subscribe to the channel. If you're new, if you're listening on audio, please do leave us a review. We're going to start off by discussing the team, the lineup that Mikel Arteta picked. Now, on the show that we did on Friday, um, we talked about the lineup. We discussed it. We talked about 
what Mikel Arteta may or may not do, what he should do. And this was the lineup that I told you guys he should go with. Raya in goal, um, White, Saliba, Gabriel Zinchenko, which he did. Jorginho, Rice and Odegaard, which he did. And then Saka, Martinelli. And I said, Jesus, if he was fit, but if he wasn't fit, Kai Havertz should be the one to slot in up front. That was what I said. Later on that day, on Friday, I don't want to be this guy, but I feel like I've got the right to be this guy today, so I'm going to do it anyway. On Friday, I then cut a section of that podcast out, and I cut out the the section in which we did some tactical analysis, and I highlighted the fact that, for me, it was imperative that Jorginho started, and I put that video out. Later that day, after that video was out and circulating for a bit, I decided to check my inbox on Twitter and you would not believe how many people had DM'd me calling me a clown, calling me this, calling me that, telling me that I had uh, that I'd been briefed by the club apparently to um, come out and say that it was a load of nonsense. These were some of the comments. Um, uh, Harry, with all due respect, this is a nice one, actually. Georgie playing against a team that loves to press is madness. Um, I had one from a random user says, I definitely wouldn't start Ghost of Guard or Jorginho. Uh, Jorginho is slow, can't cope with Liverpool's midfield. He cannot keep up with them. Jorginho shouldn't start. The majority disagree with you. Jorginho must stay on the bench. That's his place. Well, what are you saying now? Because Jorginho was magnificent. Magnificent. And he won um the player of the match and deservedly so he was incredible today he was brilliant he was great Kai Havertz was great the two of them were both brought into the side that was the only two changes that Mikel Arteta made today Jorginho and Havertz came in out went Emil Smith-Rowe and Gabriel Jesus who unfortunately has got some sort of problem with that knee again which is yeah worrying but maybe we'll talk about that in the week. We'll focus on the positives today and, and the great game uh, that we saw. What I thought was really, really interesting, though, about the way we lined up was that in my head, when I picked Jorginho in my midfield going into this game, I thought that Jorginho would play as the six. And that what that would mean is that Declan Rice would have to play a slightly different role. So he wouldn't be playing necessarily as an eight. He'd be playing as a kind of hybrid between a six and an eight because my worry about Jorginho is not what he does in possession. It's not what he does with the ball at his feet. It's not about his mentality. It's not about his intelligence. It's nothing to do with that. It's just about the fact that he can't cover ground as quickly and isn't as strong as someone like Declan Rice. So I've always said that you can kind of facilitate Jorginho as a six if you've got Declan Rice close to him. And that was what I expected to happen because that's what we've seen before. But Mikel Arteta made a really, really interesting tweet today. He didn't play Jorginho as the six. He played Rice as the six. And Jorginho was playing slightly to the left. Now, with Jorginho playing slightly to the left and having that extra sort of very good in possession type midfielder able to break lines, what that meant was that Zinchenko or whoever played at left back didn't need to invert as much. 
And that gave us a slightly different balance. One of the things I noticed in the first half, and I was working with my colleague, uh, Zavi Bird, today, and, and I turned to him and I said it a few minutes into the game. When Arsenal were pressing Liverpool, what you saw was Havertz pressing and Martin Odegaard stepping out of the midfield and going and joining Kai Havertz to, to, put, uh, to press as a front two. And then it became a flat four in midfield. Saka would tuck back in, Martinelli would tuck back in, and Jorginho and Rice would play as a duo, side by side, square with each other. And it gave us a whole different dynamic. When we played against Liverpool in the Cup, I thought we did a really, really good job of getting in between the lines. Today, though, I thought we approached it a little bit differently. Liverpool would have picked up on what we did well last time out and they would have been much more alert, much more switched on to it. So we needed to vary things up a little bit. And what we did a great job of doing was using Gabriel Martinelli on that left-hand side to stretch the two Liverpool centre-backs. Now, you're, you're probably thinking, well, what about the right-back? Well, Trent Alexander-Arnold is so forward-thinking that he will get caught high up the pitch. He is so progressive in his thinking and has been playing in midfield quite a bit of late. He would constantly drift infield or he'd push right up on that right-hand side. And the great thing about having both Jorginho and Rice in that team meant we had a little bit more uh, defensive cover in midfield, which allowed one of them to go out to the left and support. And also with Zinchenko not having to invert, he could kind of stay um, closer to where his position on paper is and that meant that we could leave Martinelli all the way up the pitch all the time and very very often in the first half when Arsenal won the ball back whether it be through a centre-back whether it be through a centre midfielder the first thought was get it out to Martinelli on the left-hand side because when you do that what happens is is that Ibrahim Konate, who's playing right centre-back he has to come across he has to come across and deal with the Martinelli threat because more often than not, if the turnover's quick and the ball is worked out to that left-hand side nice and sharply, Martinelli is in space. Trent Alexander-Arnold isn't there. So Konate has to go across and that splits the centre-backs. And when you're defending, you never, ever want your centre-halves to have such great distances in between them. And that's what kept happening to Liverpool in that first half. Um, someone in the chat says, MOTD, watch along. I'm recording MOTD and I will go and watch it uh, immediately after this. The reason I wanted to do this now um, rather than in the morning is because I've got a really, really busy morning and I didn't want this to go out any later um, than first thing. Those of you that listen on audio, I want you to wake up in the morning and see the notification on your podcast app. For those of you on YouTube, I know we've got lots of viewers in the States and in various other parts of the world. India, Africa, etc., etc., and I know that the time um, this time isn't too bad for some of you. I know for others it's terrible in the states. So it's pretty good, I guess. But yeah, I'm talking about the centre halves being split by the way that we approach the game, by the gap being left by Trent Alexander-Arnold, constantly being exposed by Martinelli, which meant that Konate had to keep getting dragged out there. We created um, one really, really good standout opportunity before we eventually broke the deadlock. And that was um, created by David Raya, actually. He came out, caught across, and he did exactly what he did against Crystal Palace um, a couple of weeks back, where he just launched it um, out to the left-hand side for Martinelli, who carried it, got his head down, and he just went. Now, Konate is no slouch, but Martinelli took him right to the byline. from. I think he picked the ball up just inside his own half, Martinelli. 
took Konate all the way to the byline, put in a ferocious cross into um, sort of around about the six-yard box. And in came Bukayo Saka. Brilliant run, by the way. When we talked about what we were doing really, really well last season, we kept talking about the way that Jesus would drop deep and vacate those central spaces, leaving them open for the wingers to come into from outside. And that's why they were so difficult to pick up. And we saw a bit of that here. It was a counter-attacking situation, a little bit different, but Martinelli gets down the left-hand side. He puts the cross in and Saka had the goal at his mercy. He really, really, really needed to score there. And I remember at that moment thinking, it's going to be one of those days, isn't it? where we're going to create lots and lots of opportunities. We're not going to take them and we're going to get done with a sucker punch down the other end. And then Bukayo Saka did score and Arsenal took the lead. It was a deserved lead. Arsenal were by far the better team today. Um, I think throughout, with the exception of maybe a 10-minute period, um, right at the start of the second half. But we'll come on to that in a bit, I want to do this in chronological order. So on 14 minutes, Bukayo Saka scores. Ball gets played uh, into Odegaard. Lovely ball around the corner. And there was uh, Kai Havertz to pick it up and run through on goal. And I was thinking, come on, Kai. Come on, Kai. Stick it in the bottom corner. Come on, Kai. Come on, come on, come on. Um, what does he do? He hits it straight at Allison with one of the most underwhelming finishes you'll ever see. But thankfully, Bukayo Saka was up alongside him, was supporting. And when the ball broke to him, he took a touch to compose himself and then put it into the back of the net. Arsenal had broken the deadlock and taken the lead. And thank God that Havertz did. Um, oh, sorry, thank God that Saka did put that away, because if he didn't, can you imagine uh, what people would have been saying about Kai Havertz. I'm going to save the chat about his individual performance for a little bit later on. I just want to run through some of the key events. Then, of course, right on the stroke of half time, um, 45 uh, minutes plus three, so 48th minute, Gabriel scores an own goal that puts Liverpool back on level terms. And the truth was they didn't deserve it. They really, really didn't. And it felt to me like... When that goal went in, all the life, all the positivity, all the energy that the fans had created and the players were feeding off in that first half just completely evaporated, disappeared, left the building. When you can see the goal at that point in a game, it's quite difficult. When you've been really, really on top and then you concede right on the stroke of half time, it can be a punch in the gut. That's what it feels like. Factor in the nature of that goal, and it's even worse, the fact that we played incredibly well and we just made a stupid error at the back and almost gifted Liverpool a way back into a game that maybe should have been beyond them by that point. So let's break that goal down. So the ball gets played um, into that sort of right-hand channel. Um, Diaz is going at it with Saliba. Saliba does really well to kind of get across him. Um, and does really well initially to kind of shut the door on Luis Diaz. But it just felt to me like William Saliba wasn't quite fully aware of where Luis Diaz was. You've got to give credit to the forward as well, the determination to once Saliba's blocked you off, make sure that you get around him and, and on your way down as you're falling, get a toe to it just to try and keep the move alive is pretty impressive in terms of the forward play. Raya comes, should Raya collect it? Some say yes. Some say that Saliba should have cleared it. Some were even suggesting that Gabriel 
was that fall out? I mean, it comes off of Gabriel's arm in the end and goes into the back of the net. Gabriel was the least at fault of the three. In fact, Gabriel wasn't at fault at all. He's really, really unlucky. But who's to blame? Saliba or Raya? Now, I want to put a poll, actually, in the chat for this one because um, I'm really, really, really interested to know um, what you guys think about this because I was torn at the time and I still think I am a bit torn. And as a result of that, I'm, I'm kind of feeling like maybe I should put the blame um, 50% on each. But I, I kind of want to get you guys' thoughts as well, because I feel like I need to make some kind of decision on this. So I'm going to ask you guys now. Uh, let me put this poll in the chat. Hold on. Um, start a poll. Um, who was more responsible for LFC's goal? And the options are Raya and Saliba. Now, I know it doesn't really matter because we've won the game, but I am interested to gauge you guys' thoughts on this. I really, really am. So Saliba, for me, has to be absolutely 100% sure when he decides that he's going to leave it for Raya that he's closed the door on Luis Diaz. And ultimately, he hasn't. Ultimately, he hasn't made sure that it is impossible for Luis Diaz to get there. He doesn't realise, I don't think, that Luis Diaz has made a move to go around the outside of him. And therefore, he doesn't adjust his body that kind of second time um, in, order to, in order to prevent him getting that toe on the ball. Equally, could David Raya have come out and, and smothered it? Could he have been a little bit more forceful, a little bit more dominant? Is it one of those where you go, nope, I'm just going to clean everybody out, including my own man. But I'm going to make sure that I get to that ball. Upon reflection, I think that it's probably William Saliba who needs to shoulder the majority of the responsibility. I'm looking at the live chat and the, the poll that we've put in. 77% of you think that William Saliba is more culpable than David Raya. I'm surprised because I thought that that poll would have been a little bit more split. I have to say that. I think that Saliba should win the poll, by the way, but I thought it would have been a little bit more split than it actually is. Surprised by that. Really, really am. But anyway, um, we can all agree that that William Saliba probably has to do better there. I still think both of them could do a little bit more um, in, in that instance. But hey, it doesn't matter now because we ended up getting all three points. Um, someone saying that I never read the chat. I'm always reading the chat. I promise you, I'm always uh, reading the chat. And we will come to the chat and take your questions and your thoughts and whatever else a little bit later on. Moving on. Arsenal's second goal. It was a gift. But we just gifted Liverpool one at the end of the first half. So do you know what? Who cares? <laughs> um, huge praise to Gabriel Martinelli because for me, first of all, it's his willingness to chase. It's his willingness to, to keep giving 100%. His willingness to um, make sure that he's always there or thereabouts. And, and good things come to those who work hard and, and to those who are in the right place to capitalise when those moments come along. I like the way he sort of used his body a little bit as well because he kind of bumps into Van Dyke at one point. Well, 
it's hard to tell who initiated it, but him and Van Dyke have a little coming together. That leads to a slight coming together between Van Dyke and Allison, which means Allison misses the ball completely when he comes out. And then when the ball drops in front of Martinelli, his eyes light up. It's an easy finish. He rolls it into the back of the net and Arsenal are 2-1 up. Not long after that, Ibrahima Konate got himself sent off, which really did uh, boost our chances of, of holding on. Um, Liverpool started bringing on uh, the likes of Thiago Alcantara. And I'm sitting there thinking, for God's sake, come on, come on, have mercy. And then Arsenal, late on in the 92nd minute, get the goal that seals the deal. Leandro Trossard, brilliant bit of skill on the near side as I was looking at it, flicked it around um, Harvey Elliott, I think, drove towards the box, realised that nobody was on, on to support him. There was nothing really else for him to do. Goes for the shot, back across Allison's goal, takes the slightest of nicks, I think, off of Van Dyke, which takes it under the legs of the goalkeeper. And, um, and that was it, game done. And it was just so sweet, wasn't it? We're now two points off the top of the Premier League. I don't even think that we are that we are the favourites. Like I know some people are saying, well, we're gonna we're gonna win the title now. I'm not going as far as saying that, but we're certainly in the race. And that's what you can ask. Oh, that's what you can ask for at this stage in a season. No title was ever won in February. That's what you need right now is to is to be in the mix, is to be in contention. And I know people will point to the fact that City have two games in hand. Now, they're five points off the pace, two games in hand, one of which is against Brentford tomorrow. I expect them to win that. And then it becomes, you know, very much a three-horse race. It's going to be really, really, really interesting to see how this plays out. But these victories, they're psychological victories as well as anything else. And sometimes those can go a long way. You know, three points is three points. Whether you get it against Liverpool or you get it against Burnley, it's still three points. But sometimes the psychological victories, they can take you a long way. They really, really can. Um, in terms of individual performances, I really want to do that part because there's a few players that I want to single out. Now, there are, listen, I could go through the whole team. I thought everyone to a man um, was really, really good today. Really, really good. There was one moment from Saliba slash Raya, but you guys say Saliba. Um, but other than that, everybody was was brilliant throughout. And um, we'll get onto player ratings a little bit later on. I'm going to single out some performances and discuss those. Uh, as I mentioned first, we're also going to take some of your questions, some of your thoughts. So please do get them in the live chat. Uh, going to take a really, really, really short pause. I'm talking like three seconds. And then we are going to dive into some of those individual displays. Don't go anywhere. Get involved in a live chat. Welcome back along to the pod. Okay, let's start off with the man of the hour, Jorginho. We talked about the tactical tweak um, that Mikel Arteta made. Um, A, bringing him in the side is not what everybody expected. I, I do wonder if the fact that Jesus was out and, and maybe a lack of faith that Mikel seems to have in Enketia lately um, kind of forced him into it because he he might have looked at the centre-forward position and gone, I don't really fancy Enketia up there in this game, therefore I'm going to go with Havertz, but then that limits me in the midfield. I guess I'll have to bring Jorginho in. I, I wonder if that was part of it. I don't know. Difficult to say. Maybe I'm being harsh because, or, or maybe I'm being disingenuous because a lot of us were saying Jorginho would be the right fit. A lot of people said the opposite, but a lot felt that it would work as well 
in a game like this. And the reason people feel that about Jorginho is because he is really, really technically sound, really responsible in possession, really clever. He's a leader. He's constantly talking on the pitch. He's got bags and bags and bags of experience at the highest level. And it's funny because him and Kai Havertz were kind of made out to be these Chelsea outcasts, players that, you know, weren't good enough for them. And that's why they allowed them to move on. And now those two played a pivotal part in a side that beat the side that are top of the league, whilst Chelsea are getting battered at home by Wolverhampton Wanderers. It's funny how football can come at you, isn't it? It really, really is. But I mentioned all the things that I think Jorginho brings to the side. And, you know, that was on display in an abundance today. It was really, really good. Really, really good to see. Really impressed with his performance. And um, he seems to bring the best out of Declan Rice as well, because I thought for the first time in maybe two or three games, Declan Rice looked back at his absolute brilliant best. He's another player that I want to highlight on an individual level, because I thought today he was everywhere. He was immense. He was powerful. He was strong. Again, took care of the ball really, really well. Dropped back and helped the centre-backs when he needed to. Went across and helped um, the full-backs when they were were needing him as well. He was absolutely everywhere. Everywhere. I want to talk um, Kai Havertz because I think he was great today as well. Um, I know people are going to point to the fact that he didn't finish the chance that then led to Saka's goal and all the rest of it. Look, the guy's not a good finisher, okay? Like, that's clear for everybody to see, okay? He can't... I I don't even know how to describe it because... Technically, he's obviously very, very good in a lot of ways. But then for some reason, when he's in front of goal and and maybe it's a confidence thing, he just doesn't seem to have that conviction. But the rest of his game today was sensational. He did so much work carrying the ball when we needed him to, when we needed a breather, challenging defenders in aerial duels and, and being successful in that. Obviously played a big part in Konate getting sent off because he, um, you know, well, no, he got in book both times, didn't he? Both of those incidents were involving Kai Havertz. I thought some of his running in behind was good, but also some of his running into the wider channels was good. And he contributed to that game plan that I mentioned, which involved pulling the centre-halves out of the way. He also dropped back into a deeper position at times, again, opening the door for the wingers and Odegaard as well to get that little bit further forward. I know people look at him and they say he's languid and he looks lazy and he looks like he doesn't care. That was a really, really committed performance um, from from Kai Havertz. And when tomorrow comes, when Monday comes and you start seeing some of the stats and the numbers floating around on social media, I guarantee you, you'll be impressed. I really, really do. I think, you know, can we sit here and say that he's a top finisher? No. Can we sit here and say he's a top goal scorer? No, we can't agree with all of that. Um, but in terms of his all-round game, he brings so much to the table. And that's why I think today you saw why. And I think you saw it in the cup tie as well, where again, his finishing was really poor, but everything else was great. He's not the one that you want to have playing up front every single week, but he is someone that gives you a very unique weapon and not a lot of teams are going to be able to figure that out and live with it. Um, and and today, I think you saw that Liverpool struggled to live with it. 
Um, a centre-back pairing of Van Dijk and Konate, who are normally brilliant, were being pulled right and left, were being challenged. Um, and, and even if it's not Kai Havertz putting the ball in the back of the net, he is going to open up spaces for others. And you, you even look at periods in the first half where Odegaard was getting on the ball a lot, had a lot more space than he normally does against the likes of Liverpool, Martin Odegaard. Because again, when you've got that focal point, that you can go and stick up on the two centre-halves and, and have him occupy him and create room for others. Also as well, to be able to sometimes, when you're playing a side that are really good in the press, to be able to just go, nothing's on, let's go long up to Kai Havertz. And knowing that he can hold it up, knowing that he's going to win you a free kick or something, it's a really, really good weapon to have. So I really enjoyed his performance. The other player that I really want to highlight on an individual level is Jakob Kivior. Now, he came on at the break for Alexander Zinchenko. From what I understand, Zinchenko has got some kind of injury. I wasn't in the press conference, but I did do the radio interview with Mikel Arteta. And when he was taught, when he was asked about injuries, he mentioned Zinchenko as one of those players. So clearly he's felt something at halftime. Um, and uh, and yeah, he, he's had to go off. I've been massively critical of Jakob Kivior playing at left back. I think he's been really uncomfortable when tasked with playing in that position. I really, really do. You know that. You, those of you that watch or listen to this regularly will know that I've said it repeatedly. Today, I thought he did a magnificent job of protecting us down that left-hand side. He didn't venture too far forward, with the exception of one occasion where he somehow popped up in Liverpool's box and had a header saved by Alisson. I don't know where that on earth that came from. But he very rarely ventured out. He very rarely gave the ball away. I can think of one time where he tried to play a ball down the line to Martinelli, he slightly got his angles wrong. Um, he looked composed. He looked strong. He never let anybody get beyond him, really. He prevented a number of Liverpool crosses in that second half. I thought it was a really good display. So if we're going to slag him off um, when he plays poorly at left-back, we've got to give him his dues as well. And, yeah, I thought it was a, a really, really solid display from him. I'm going to do my player ratings in a second, but I do want to address some of your comments. Just going back to the, the, goal, the goal that we conceded, um, Oladeji says Saliba was 80% at fault for that goal. Let me see how that poll's looking. 74% Saliba, 25% David Raya at the moment. Okay, interesting. Um, let's see what else you guys are saying in the chat because there's lots coming. T Power says, I think Harry is plugging the Arsenal narrative. Ari Havertz. No one who watches the games can come up with such nonsense like I'm hearing. There have been games where I've come away from them and I've said, I thought Kai Havertz had a good game. And people have said, no, he didn't. And, you know, you're clutching at straws. And whilst I disagree with them, I could kind of see where they're coming from. OK, I really, really could. I, I get why he's not everybody's cup of tea. I get that he's not perfect. I get that there are some shortcomings in his game. Not a problem. Not a problem at all. But if you watched Arsenal today, if you watched if you watched Kai Havertz's performance today and you still can't park your agendas against him and you still can't figure out why Arteta likes him you still can't figure out why tactically in a game like this against a certain type of opposition he makes a lot of sense then you don't know what you're watching i'm sorry because it's abundantly clear what Kai Havertz brings to the table when he plays in that role. 
Now, people need to drop this awful um, agenda and the lazy analysis that I've highlighted on a number of occasions this season when it comes to Kai Havertz is driving me mental. I'm sick of it. I'm sick and tired of it because there have been games where you could come away and you could say, Kai Havertz didn't offer much today. Kai Havertz was poor today. Kai Havertz feels like a waste of money, etc., etc. There's been plenty of games this season where you could have come away from it saying that. And I'd have said, do you know what? I disagree with you, but fine. There could be some validity to your point. There is an argument that says you got a point. But if you watched Kai Havertz today and you can't figure out or comprehend how important he was today in the game plan that we executed and the success of it, then I'm sorry, as the kids say these days, you don't know ball. That's all I'm going to say on it. That's all I'm going to say on it. Let's see uh, what else you guys are saying um, in the live uh, chat. Uh, um, Mr. Feather says, uh, Jorginho, who I don't rate, was man of the match. Why can't I say this for Havertz? I don't have an agenda. I've just seen enough. We can't give two players man of the match, can you? <laughs> um, what else have we got? Uh, Aaron Knowles says, uh, H. Havertz was excellent off the ball today, but you're too far forward there, mate. What do you mean? Too, like, as in, you think I'm being too complimentary of him? I just think that people completely overlook the value of his role. And it, dri- it, it drives me mad because... You can't, on the one hand, sit there and say, Mikel Arteta is brilliant. He's done a fantastic job. You know, give him the the plaudits that he rightly deserves for um, taking this team from a point where they were lucky to get in the Champions League. But now they're in a position where actually, if they're not challenging for the title, you're all disappointed and you're all frustrated. And not trust him to a degree. Like, I'm not saying you have to agree with a manager's every decision and every move. But I do think... When somebody overall has done a really, really good job, they earn the right to then be trusted in certain instances, at least given the time of day for those moves that they've made or those tweaks that they've made to to bring you the benefit that obviously the manager hopes they do and then for you to kind of recognise that and acknowledge that. Kai Havertz, to me today, was really, really effective in a lot of ways. He wasn't effective in every way. And I certainly think that, you know, he he needs to finish better. He needs to he needs to improve in that sense because you can't you won't always get enough chances to be able to get away with someone um, missing chances like he does. But I thought he was really really good, really really intelligent, um, really really hardworking. And um, and as Kurt says, and this I think this is spot on. Um, it's clear what Havertz does. of the good that he does gets completely ignored by the fans because they have an agenda. It's so clear. Trevor says Kai had a good game today, but he's not a natural goal scorer. And I suppose for 65 million pounds, the fan base expect more. And again, I've always said that the price thing, you know, it's it's a contentious point. And I've got no issue with people saying that the price was too much. I'm, I'm pretty sure that if you go back to the podcast where we announced that we signed him or that we had made this 65 million pound bid, you will find me saying that it was too much money. But he's been bought now. Like I'm, I'm not going to sit there every single week and, and moan about the amount of money that we spent on him. It's done now. Let's just get behind the player. And today, 
he was very, very good. Very good. Not quite in the conventional way that maybe some want to measure players by, but I bet when you look at the stats, I bet when you break it all down, and I bet when the deeper analysis takes place tomorrow, people will look at it in a slightly different light. Right, we're going to take a short pause, then I'm going to deliver you my player ratings before we finish off with some of your questions. Uh, don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Welcome back along to the show. Okay, guys, there are over 400 of you watching with me right now. I've only got 149 likes on the board. Can I possibly get it up to 250? That would be amazing. Please leave a like whether you agree with me or disagree with me. Um, I mean, I, I'm sitting here at what? What time is it? 11 p.m. at night. We're live on YouTube. I'm really enjoying it. I feel like I've got so much energy, even though it's 11 p.m. and I should be knackered. Um, but that's what Arsenal could do to you, right? They can give you that energy boost that um, sometimes is desperately needed and you can uh, ride on the wave of the energy and the, the happiness, I guess, that comes off the back of a result like that. But anyway, time to deliver my player ratings from Arsenal 3, Liverpool 1 at Emirates Stadium, a game that puts Arsenal right back in the title race, a result that puts Arsenal right back in the title race, I should say. Let's start with the goalkeeper, David Raya. I'm going to give David Raya a seven and a half today. I thought everything he did, apart from playing some small role, as you guys would have me put it, in the goal that we conceded at the end of the first half, I thought he did everything with assurance, with a calmness. Um, and I, I thought it was a really good performance from him in a lot of ways. Some good distribution again. Um, I didn't feel anywhere near as nervous with him as I do um, sometimes. And as I have done at various other points this season, seven and a half out of 10 for me, for David Raya. Ben White, I'm going to give him an eight. I thought Ben White was superb, especially in that first half, getting up and down that right-hand side, really supporting Bukayo Saka. Once we scored the second goal, Ben White went into this kind of more conservative role, which I think is the right thing to do, obviously, under those circumstances. But some of the, the touches, some of the bravery um, in terms of the way he wanted to play the game, there was that brilliant bit where he brought the ball down and he poked it through. I think it might have been Luis Diaz's legs. I think Ben White looked great today. I thought Ben White looked really good against Forrest as well. And I feel like we've been talking, haven't we, for a little while about Ben White maybe carrying some sort of problem. I really do feel like he's maybe past that now because he's starting to look like the, the Benny Blanco that we've all become accustomed to over the last couple of years. William Saliba, I'm going to give Saliba a seven. Um, I think that Saliba was good with the exception of his role in that goal, obviously. But the reason I can't give him more than a seven is because there were a couple of moments today where I felt like he was just not quite at the top of his game, not not quite at the level that we know he can reach, a little bit sloppy, a little bit slow to react. I feel like maybe even a seven is slightly too high. Do you know what? I'm going to downgrade it. I'm going to go six and a half for William Saliba today. Gabriel alongside him. I'm going to give Gabriel an 8 out of 10. Gabriel, brilliant. I mean, he's got an own goal on paper. He could do nothing about that. That was not anywhere near um, his own making. So Gabriel gets an 8 for me. Zinchenko, I'm going to give him a 7. I thought defensively he was better today than he normally is. I've mentioned earlier about how I think the system and the midfield selection 
meant that he didn't have as much to do in those inverted positions, which probably contributed to his ability to defend a bit better. So Zinchenko gets a seven. I'm going to give Kivior a rating as well because they played a half each. Kivior, for me, gets an eight and a half. He did everything right when he came on the pitch, with the exception of, I can remember, one pass that went astray. Um, where he tried to open up his body and, and play it first time down the line for Martinelli. It ended up going out of play. Other than that, solid, strong, powerful, um, cut off the supply of crosses into the box. And once Darwin Nunez on, was on, sorry, that was really, really important. So uh, delighted with what we saw from him. Declan Rice gets a 9 out of 10 for me. Brilliant, majestic, really dominant. Jorginho gets a 9.5 out of 10 for me um, because, again, you know, a player that went into the game with a lot of scepticism around him, people super critical of him, people saying that this was a wild decision from Mikel Arteta to put him in the side, but he did brilliantly. And not only did he um, do all the stuff in possession really well, I thought he did a great job of organising others. And maybe that doesn't come across when you're watching the game on TV, but he was constantly someone that I kept looking at and he was someone that I, I constantly uh, spotted passing on instructions, uh, making sure that everybody was in position and making sure that everybody was keeping their heads when it really mattered. Martin Odegaard, this is an interesting one. I'm going to give Odegaard a seven and a half. Um, good in some moments. Um, not, not great, but worked very hard, pressed very hard. And again, I thought, led those around him quite well. Um, but the productivity wasn't really there in terms of creating stuff directly for others. He had a couple of opportunities to work shots from the edge of the box and maybe took a little bit too long in those instances and the opportunities passed him by. I'm going to give him seven and a half. Saka, I'm going to give... What do I give Saka? He scored a goal, missed the sitter, worked defensively so hard, though. Do you know what? I'm going to give him an eight. I'm going to give Saka an eight because I can. I was thinking about the chance he missed. Obviously, he scored a goal, missed a really good chance. But the one thing that's just come into my mind now was there was a, a moment where Liverpool were coming down their left-hand side. There was a bit of play out on that left-hand side. And the ball was worked into Robertson, who'd made this late run into our penalty area. And Bakayo Saka didn't switch off, wasn't caught on his heels, wasn't playing that I'm a forward, I don't need to get back card. And I know some people will say hard work is a minimum, but I remember him tracking this very particular run and it being the one that made the challenge that stopped it developing into anything else. And he tracked that run from a long way away. So in terms of the work rate, that that kind of boosts his rating up for me. I'm going to go eight out of ten for Bukayo Saka. Kai Havertz, I'm going to give him an eight and a half because I, of all the reasons I've already mentioned, I'm not going to go over it um, over and over again. Work rate, brilliant. The way he put his body on the line, brilliant. Um, the fight for the team, brilliant. And I know it doesn't always look like Kai Havertz can be bothered, but he can. And today I thought it was really effective. Gabriel Martinelli, I'm going to give him an eight and a half because he terrorised Liverpool down our left-hand side, their right-hand side, constantly exposing the spaces left by Trent Alexander-Arnold. Um, I thought he did a really, really good job of that. And I just wonder if, had Connor Bradley been around, and by the way, um, 
I want to um, send our best wishes to Connor Bradley because he lost his father. Um, I think yesterday or the day before it was confirmed yesterday, but it might have been the day before. And to think that a lad of that age came into the Liverpool, has, has broken into the Liverpool side, has been that impressive all while his father was suffering from a serious illness and even scored that goal against Chelsea the other night with all of that playing on his mind. That is a testament to the lad. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that had he played, there might have been a change in that position. Um, I know Trent did go off, but I think it was at the point where they were chasing a goal. I think he bought, was it Thiago that came on for him? I think that maybe had Connor Bradley been around, it might've been a change that, that Jurgen Klopp made earlier. Um, so I've given Martinelli eight and a half. Trossard, I'm going to give him eight and a half as well, because he seems to come off the bench in these last couple of games and just be majestic in terms of holding the ball, dribbling, carrying, etc., etc. And when you score the third goal and, and wrap up the result, well, you deserve a pretty good rating, don't you? So those are my player ratings. Let me just summarise those. Raya, seven and a half. White, eight. Saliba, six and a half. Gabriel, eight. Zinchenko, seven. Kivior, eight and a half. Into midfield, Rice, nine. Jorginho, nine and a half. Erdegaard, seven and a half. Saka, eight. Um, Martinelli, eight and a half. Havertz, eight and a half. Trossard, eight and a half. Some people have been asking if I know anything about Bukayo Saka. Obviously felt something and was replaced. I don't really know if there is an issue there, but I'm I'm pretty confident that there, there probably isn't. And it was one of those where maybe cramped up, maybe felt something ever so slightly. And, and the decision was, let's not risk him. Let's bring on some fresh legs and, um, and we'll go, uh, we'll go from there. Uh, right. Question time. Get your questions into the live chat. We're going to finish off the last 10 minutes or so solely focused on those. Get them in the chat. Box. Um, a few arguments going on. Uh, in the chat box, uh, people um, going, what, what are they arguing about? Let me guess. What's the Who's the, the Arsenal scapegoat these days that everybody has to make a big deal about? Even when he plays well, we're not allowed to say it, apparently. Oh, yeah, Kai Havertz, that's the one. Um, anyway, let's take some of your questions. Uh, Russ says, would you keep Zinchenko in the starting eleven for West Ham or switch to Tomiyasu? Personally, I would switch to Tomiyasu. Um, I've been desperate for him to get back into the side I've been desperate for one of him or Timber to come back because I just think that Zinchenko defensively isn't up to it. And yeah, he gives you other things and he gives you that creativity from deep and, you know, he brings you um, control and all the rest of it. And we talked about this over and over again, but my word, he scares the living daylights out of me um, at times. So yeah, I want Tommy Asu to come back in. I, I really, really do. And if Jorginho is going to continue in the side, then I definitely want Tommy Asu to come back in because as I mentioned earlier, I don't think you need the Zinchenko inversion as much when Jorginho's in the midfield because I think he then picks up a lot of that in terms of progressing the ball and all the rest of it. Do you know what? Before I continue on your questions, I've just got to show you guys something. Um, a colleague of mine made this um, earlier. And I posted it on my Instagram, but I wanted to show it to you guys here. If you're listening on audio, come over to YouTube and check this out because this this cracked me up. Uh, have a look at this. On the... 
a mate of mine, um, a colleague of mine, Marco Biferi, absolute legend. Um, got this. On the streets of- In a work WhatsApp group. He reckons that's how I'm going to turn up at the 90 min studio tomorrow morning. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Okay. Um, just with regards to that Zinchenko point, by the way, um, Tom says Zinni's fitness needs to be managed as well. Uh, Tommy will be raring to go again. Yeah, he's another one, right? Jesus, Zinchenko, Partey, they're all wonderful, wonderful footballers. We all know that. But the the problem, the issue with their fitness is just one that's ongoing. You know, it wasn't that long ago that Zinni had a problem and now he's got another problem by the looks of it. And, you know, Partey, we thought he was going to be back maybe today in the squad at least. And, you know, he's got a setback that Mikel Arteta has described as one that could be weeks you know we have to have questions and, and conversations about these players at some point can't always rely on the unfit i guess um galvo says with us being pretty unlucky with injuries up to now who's the one player currently fit we can't afford to get an injury in the next few months i would argue it's declan rice without saliba uh, so i beg your pardon without parte available to lose declan rice would be it would be catastrophic to our chances and to our hopes. I really do believe that. So he's the one for me. Um, Saliba would be a big blow as well. But with Tommy Asu back, you could put Ben White inside or you could put Ben White, uh, Tommy Asu as the centre-back himself. Um, you know, Gabriel, Kivior in at centre-back. I'm, I'm okay with Kivior at centre-back, by the way. Um, but yeah, Declan Rice is is the one for me, I think, that especially in Thomas Partey's absence, we just just can't afford. Just can't afford to lose. Um, we really, really can't. Uh, get me some more questions in. Uh, Salahadeen says, uh, Arteta said he prefers the word dominance to control, so don't con- mention control again. Yep, apologies. He did say that, to be fair. Um, he did. He did say that after the game. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Luke, Luke, apparently he's Luke Shaw, some some kid behind his computer screen pretending he's Luke Shaw, says they're all wasted talents, Harry, because I put out a video saying that Thomas Partey um, feels like a bit of a wasted talent because of how good he is, yet the fact he can't stay fit makes that irrelevant and supersedes that at times. And I stand by that. I don't think that's a bad thing to say. Um, it's a way, If I say wasted talent, it's because they can't stay fit and that talent is essentially wasted and, and going by the wayside as a result of that. Not because they can't be bothered or, you know, they're not professional or anything like that. I just think that there are some players that are so extremely talented, but their bodies just don't allow them to do what they need to do at the level that they need to do it. If I go back through history, from an Arsenal point of view, I'm talking about the likes of Jack Wilshere. I'm talking about the likes of Abu Diaby, who were clearly incredibly talented footballers, but their bodies just kept breaking down and therefore it was wasted talent it really really was um uh, t power says uh t, I, don't, I don't even know why i'm responding to this nonsense really i shouldn't but he says arteta and edu have staked a lot on habits that's why we have to endure this narrative you'll slaughter other players for a lot less what i, I would love someone to explain to me what what i gain by 
not slating Kai Havertz? Like, what what do you think? Do you think I get a check in the post every month from the club saying, ah, you know, yeah, go on, make sure that you praise him. Make sure you only say good things. Make sure that you only talk about the positives. Like, is that is that what people actually think happens? And I remember as well, right? That and and another reason why I I get really defensive about this stuff and why I get quite sort of prickly about it is because remember this man, remember this guy, Granite Xhaka. I was telling you all that he is a good footballer. I was telling you all that we just need to use him right. We need to use him in a different way. And if you create the right balance around him and you focus on getting the good out of him and extracting the good out of him, he can become a really, really key player. Mikel Arteta was able to extract that from him by putting him in a different position. As a result of that, he became one of our best players last season. And as a result of his departure, people have been moaning and complaining all season long this season. So when I say that I think a player's got something, or when I say that there are qualities that X player or Y player brings to the side and it's dismissed, I'm not saying I know everything and that you should listen to everything I say. I'm not saying that for a second. I'm not saying you shouldn't have an opinion either. But I get annoyed when people pretend or try to pass off that my opinion is one that I've been told to give by anybody. I've been proven right lots of times. Remember the time I said, don't sign any Buendia. It's not the one for us. And in the chat, I got absolutely hammered. Where's Emi Buendia now? What's he doing now? I can't remember the last time I heard Emi Buendia's name. Is he injured? I don't even know. But he's disappeared in terms of relevance. I remember when I used to say about Granit Xhaka, everybody was slating me. As recently as this week, I said Jorginho would be a good fit for this game. And I was hammered. So I'm not saying you always have to listen to me. And I'm not saying you should always agree with me. I like disagreements. But I want people to give me logical and, you know, good arguments. Good, So we can have these discussions. Just saying Kai Havertz is rubbish. Kai Havertz is rubbish. Well, what is it about Kai Havertz's game that you don't like? Let's have the conversation. Let's have the discussion. But nobody ever wants to have it. Because online trolls, they don't like having actual discussions. Because that involves thinking. And that invariably involves in them getting caught out as well so anyway right um one more question let's take this one uh from galvo who says one more question what are your thoughts on broadcasters like sky being quite like a fan tv channel when it comes to carragher and neville zero impartiality i just think that's the way the media has gone generally i don't think that's um anything which is exclusive to sky um you know i'm on Talksport all the time everybody knows i'm an arsenal fan i'm on BBC Radio London, everybody knows I'm an Arsenal fan. And I bet if you listened to uh, today's show, you'd have heard me screaming down the line one way when Arsenal scored and, and being very different when Liverpool scored. Like It's just part and parcel of um, of uh, of the way things are at the moment, the landscape. I think people, I mean, I don't know about you, but I like to listen to people who specialise in certain clubs and, and feel those clubs by being a fan and all the rest of it. Because I think you understand the club um, 
to a different level and i think you can really feel every element and aspect of what it is that you're talking about on a day-to-day basis i think it's quite hard to dip into different clubs and try to provide a lot of insight when you're trying to have your finger in a lot of pie so i'm okay with it man i'm okay with it um yeah i'm i'm fine with it i'm fine with it uh what else have we got richie says um not liking our forward options due to injuries and the haters say we could have got 70 million forward for Kai's money. Um, then tell me a forward that would bring us a good return. L- listen, we can't spend that kind of money um, on a forward until we start moving people out the door. And I think there's a few that will be moving on come the summer. And then I'm sure Arsenal are going to go out and get a centre forward. I've been saying from probably the start of the summer window um sorry the start of the season i beg your pardon i've been saying since the start of the season that having bought rice and all the rest of it that the striker thing was probably going to wait and that next summer that would be the first portal call the big one the big significant bit of business that we do like we did rice 100 million that was a significant bit of business i think the next major piece of business we do will probably be for um for a center forward um, a few questions uh, coming through, but I am going to leave it there because I am absolutely shattered. I feel like I've just crashed in the last 10 minutes or so, probably dealing with all the uh, the Kai Havertz chat. Bored of it, fed up of it. Um, Arsenal are within two points of the league leaders, Liverpool, after a victory uh, today at the Emirates Stadium. What a performance it was. The atmosphere uh, was incredible, which we've already discussed as well. Uh, get involved in the comments section. Let me know what you thought about the show. Let me know what you thought about the game. Would you agree with? Would you disagree with? Um, leave your player ratings down below. I'd love to see them as well. And we'll probably be back with another episode at some point on Monday. Maybe we'll focus on a specific area of the game. Do a bit of a breakdown. Do a bit of an analysis. Who knows? I'll see what I fancy uh, doing tomorrow. But looking forward to speaking to you all again. Thanks, as always, for your support of the podcast. You've been listening to the Chronicles of Aguna. Uh, We're not quite at the like target that I set. So if you are watching us on YouTube, hit that like button. Subscribe. And if you're listening on audio, please do leave us a review. Until the next one, take care of yourselves. And uh, all the best up the Arsenal. Goodbye. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.